You all can have a seat. And as you do, I want to say good morning to you, church family. It is good to worship together with you, sing together, um, and uh, it is a joy to be together. Whether you're here in the, in the sanctuary or joining us online, just want to say a special good morning to you. My name is Dan Min, and I serve as one of the pastors here on staff at State College Alliance Church, and it's my joy, my honor, and my privilege to bring God's word to our church family here this morning. In fact, if you have your Bibles, go and take that out. You can open up to the book of Galatians chapter 5 is where we'll be here this morning. And uh, if you're new with us or you're joining us here for the very first time, first of all, we are thrilled you've chosen to be with us today. Uh, but, But secondly, we've been in a series for the last couple of months called No Other Gospel. No Other Gospel. And throughout this series, what we've been doing is we've been taking our time working through the book of Galatians, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and what the author, at least what we're sort of concluding in the reading of God's word in the book of Galatians, what the author, the apostle Paul, seems to be getting at over and over again, he's kind of hammering away at this point, is that there is truly indeed no other gospel. There's no other gospel. Now, the word gospel literally means good news. I don't know about you, but I love me some good news. Anyone with me? I love me some good news. Keep your bad news to yourself. Give me the good news, right? Like, and, and the hard thing is, it seems like we live in a world that's full of what? Bad news, bad news. I mean, everywhere you look in the media outlets, your social media feeds and all the news networks, I mean, you see the brokenness of humanity all around us. There seems to be bad news after bad news. But as we've been working through this series, Paul is, has been filling us in on some really, really good news. But, but he's like, listen guys, this ain't some any ordinary good news. This isn't just sort of kind of good news. This is actually the greatest news ever, period. And that is hope is here. And that's freedom is here. The forgiveness of sins is here. Grace and mercy are here. And all of that is made available to you and to me, not because of anything that you or I could have ever done, but it's all because of what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross on our behalf. And Galatians says, there is no better news than that. There is no other gospel. And now Paul continues on in Galatians chapter five and he begins to unpack the gospel implications on our lives here this morning. And we're gonna pick up in verse 13. And if you were with us last week, Pastor Aaron preached an incredible message on what freedom in Christ looks like. What does it mean to be free in Christ? And if you missed that message, I would encourage you to go back onto our website, watch it, listen to it. It's an incredible message. But in in that, he he touched upon uh, the first couple of verses of today's passage. So we're gonna focus in, though we pick up from verse 13, we're gonna focus in on the middle and last chunk of this chapter. And so I love for you to look with me at Galatians chapter 5. Pick me up at verse 13. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version, the ESV, but go ahead and follow along in whatever translation you have in front of you. We'll also have the text up here on the screen for you to look along. Galatians 5 verse 13 says, for you who were called to freedom, brothers, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Friends, I wanna ask you a question here this morning. How many of you have ever read a self-help book in any sort of way? A book on self-improvement before? These are books that are intended to help your life become a little bit better in some capacity. Anyone read a self-help, self-improvement? Yeah, like a bunch of hands going up. Yeah, uh, I've read a bunch in, uh, as well. I mentioned a book the last time I preached. I think it was the last time I preached. Uh, just sort of in passing called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Anyone read that book? Atomic Habits? Yeah, okay. A few more in this service than the previous one. Um, and I mentioned it uh, the last time I pre- and, and it sort of sounded like I was knocking the book. I actually really appreciated the book. Uh, it's a really good book. It's a book about developing good habits and breaking bad ones. I mean, who doesn't need a book like that, right? Like that's, yeah, give me that book. I've got habits I need to break and habits I need to develop and all those things. And so it's a really helpful book with practical insights on, on becoming a better person uh, who live out better habits. Uh, another classic one out there uh, is a book written by Dale Carnegie called How to Win Friends and Influence People. How many of you read that book? Uh, any, any, okay, it's a, a few of us. Uh, many people, many people in, the, in sort of the business world uh, sort of stand by this book as required reading uh, for dealing with people in business, but not just in the business world, but life in general. Like how do, you, how do you have a broader and greater impact in the world around you? I was recently talking with a friend about, uh, about a guy by the name of Seth Godin, uh, who happens to be a creative thinker in the world of marketing and, and business. And he's written numerous books on growing your mind, your tribe, growing your influence and increasing your impact in the world and all these things. Like, and, and, and so the list goes on and on. You could probably rattle off a, a dozen other authors and writers out there that, have, that, that speak on this category of, of growing yourself, developing yourself and, and all of these ways. There there are tons of literature out there on self-improvement and self-growth. And I got to tell you, I I love all of it. I eat that, I eat the stuff up like it's candy. Like it's just, I love it. If I can find a way that I can grow and figure out how to become a better version of myself tomorrow than I am today, I'm in. Tell me the secret. Give me the, give me the secret sauce. I I, want to know how to grow myself and better myself. I don't know if you're in that same category as I am, but if you are, I just want to talk to you for just a brief moment. 
As a lover of self-improvement and all things personal growth related, I feel the need to warn us of something important. And that is, as we approach today's passage, it's important that we look at Paul's words not as a means towards mere self-improvement and personal development. Now, what I mean by that is this. Upon reading today's passage, I think it's real easy for us to come to the conclusion that the thrust of Paul's message in this particular point in Galatians 5 is do these things and avoid these. How many of you have read this passage like that before, right? Like Galatians 5, particularly in verses 16 and on, it's almost, it, it sounds like Paul's message to us, to the Galatians, to the church, to you and me is, okay, now do these things and do avoid these things. Like the, all these good, positive things, i.e. the fruit of the spirit, do these things and Avoid these, the, you know, the, the works of the flesh, all these things that Paul listed out here in today's passage, avoid these things. In fact, I've heard many sermons on the, on the fruit of the spirit preached. And I, I, I've preached some of these me- messages before uh, that have gone something like this. The, the Bible says the fruit of the spirit is love. Now, if you don't feel like a particularly loving person, here's what you need to do to cultivate the fruit of love in your life. Here's what you need to do to become a more loving person. Do you lack joy in your life? How many of you want joy, 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 joy down in your heart, right? If you do, if you lack joy in your life, here are some ways that you can develop the fruit of joy in your life. Do you need more peace today? Well, here's how you get it, friends. Let me tell you. And what we end up doing is we boil down this passage to a series of how-tos. Now, don't get me wrong. I love me some how-tos. Get real practical with me. Tell me what I need to do. Tell me how to do things, right? Like I'm searching everything on YouTube. How-to, dot, 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 you fill in the blank. I love me some how-tos. But that is not what Paul is saying here. We boil down this passage to a series of how-tos and hopes to become perhaps a slightly better version of myself tomorrow than I am today. We treat this passage sort of like self-help literature. Do these good things and avoid these bad things. But I, I, I can't help but wonder, was that really what Paul was trying to get across Is that really what Paul was saying? Is that the point of today's passage? And if you haven't caught on already, the answer is an emphatic no. No. That is most certainly not what Paul is saying. Now now listen, church, could, could we have more joy in our lives? For sure. Should we develop in the ways of love? Absolutely. Do we need to grow in the patience department? Any parents of teenagers in the room? Uh, just, just wondering. Yeah, like parents can get an amen, amen. I need to, I need patience. Lord, give me patience. Absolutely. Do we need more self-control in our lives? Lord knows I do. Lord knows you do. Absolutely. But is that what Paul is trying to get at? Is that the point of Paul's message in this text? And the answer is no. And the reason I know that is because if you've been following with us throughout the series in the book of Galatians, it seems as though Paul throughout, from the very beginning of Galatians, he seems to be repeatedly saying, people, it's not about keeping the law. Does that, 
Sound familiar? Like, have you been with us like throughout the series, right? Like, that's what we've been talking about. Paul is saying, it's not about keeping the law. That's not about what, it, that's not what life is about. That's not what living the Christ life is about. And if Paul's message, listen now, if Paul's message in this passage was simply, do this and not that, do these things and avoid these things, is that not just another version of the law? Paul is not concerned with swapping out one form of the law for another. That's not what he's trying to get at. He's not concerned that you and I become a slightly better version of ourselves tomorrow than we are today. He's saying, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you ought to be something entirely brand new. The old is gone, the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ. Anyone who identifies as followers of Jesus I don't want to just give you a little bit of self-help advice. My call to you is not do these good things and avoid these bad things. Rather, his message is something entirely different, something far better. And what is that message? Well, to borrow the words of the great theologian of the 1970s, Sir Steven Tyler once said, walk this way. That's right, walk this way. I know some of you are tempted to sing right now, but let me remind you, you're in church, okay? So walk this way, right? But, but walk this way. But, but not just, no, listen, not just any kind of way. Paul says it this way in verse 16. Walk by the Spirit. In fact, can we say those words together this morning? Walk by the Spirit. What is Paul trying to get across to us? He's trying to tell us this. Walk by the Spirit, not do these things and avoid these things. Rather, his message to the church is walk by the Spirit. In fact, Paul is so convinced of this message that this is the way of the Christ follower. He emphasizes this point in a number of different ways. In verse 16, he says, walk by the Spirit. In verse 18, he says, we are led by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. In verse 25, Paul says, we live by the Spirit and we keep in step with the Spirit. You think Paul's trying to get a message across to the church? Walk this way is what he's saying. Walk by the Spirit. And here's what begins to happen when you begin to walk by the Spirit. There are three things I want to quickly point out, and then we'll go to the communion table here in just a moment. The first thing is this when you walk by the Spirit, you recognize the battle. You begin to recognize the battle. Did you notice throughout Paul's discourse, a significant portion of his past, this, his message revolves around this very real battle that takes place inside of every single one of us. And it's a battle between the spirit and our flesh. And boy, that struggle is real as ever. The battle between the spirit and our flesh. And here's what Paul has to say about it. He says in verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. I love how clear he is here. He's like, he's not mincing his words. He's being super clear. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. And he's like, these are diametrically opposed to one another. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Does it sound familiar? Sounds a lot like Romans chapter seven, doesn't it? Right? I, for I do the things that I don't want to do and the things I want to do, Dang it, I don't do it, right? It's like, what, what is, we sang these words earlier, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. 
We feel this battle internally inside of every single one of us, the battle between our flesh and the spirit. But now, real quick, can can I just clarify something? What in the world do we mean when we're talking about the flesh? We understand the spirit of God. We understand the Holy Spirit of God. This battle between the spirit and the flesh, what do we mean when we talk about the flesh? Well, Martin Luther, the great reformer, defined the flesh as any desires or affections that run contrary to to God. It's any desires inside of us, any affections of our lives that run contrary to God. The flesh is the part of our lives, mind, body, soul, will, volition, thoughts, passions, desires. The answer is E, all of the above. It's every conceivable part of our lives that is stained with sin. And any part of our lives that is affected by sin, which by the way, friends, is every part of our lives. Any part of our sin-stained selves will naturally bend away from the spirit of God. You won't even have to try. You are hardwired in your flesh to bend away. Your your flesh causes you to bend away from the spirit of God. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying our flesh, our broken sinful state, our default operating system, the way you come out prepackaged from the factory, all right, is by default opposed to the spirit of God. And the spirit is opposed to your flesh. Happy Sunday, everyone. (laughs) Aren't you glad you came to church, right? The spirit is opposed to the flesh. The flesh is opposed to the spirit. Translation, this is is what Paul is saying. This whole walking by the spirit thing, it is the battle. That's the battle. This walking by the Spirit is not supposed to be easy. And the moment you think you got it is the moment you may have just lost it, right? And what walking by the Spirit does is it makes us painfully aware of this internal battle that is going inside of every single one of us. But the reason why Paul brings this up, the reason why Paul shines a spotlight on this battle is not to discourage us or to make us feel bad, but he he shines a spotlight first and foremost because how many of you know you can never win a battle you're not aware of, right? And so he says there's this battle that's waging within you, this war, this battle that is going on inside of you. He shines this light so that we become aware of this battle, but secondly, so that we begin to choose sanctification. The second thing that happens when you walk by the Spirit upon seeing and recognizing the battle is you begin to choose sanctification. The spirit of God produces in you a desire for sanctification. Now, what do I mean by sanctification? Well, Paul puts it this way in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Sanctification, friends, is the ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus. That's what sanctification is. Sanctification is the ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus. And let me tell you, church, if you don't know already, and some of you already know this full well, that sanctification is truly indeed an ongoing process. Sanctification is not a once and done deal. That's why when Paul says, walk by the Spirit, this verb that he uses is a present active imperative, which means that this walking is assumed that it won't stop. It will continue on. You will continue to walk as you walk by the Spirit. That walking does not cease. 
And if you've lived life long enough, you know this to be true, that though Christ has conquered sin and death, the old man and the old woman inside of every single, every single one of us manages to creep up to the surface every once in a while. You know what I'm talking about? You're following the Lord and all of a sudden, bop, it's like you, you, just, you just fall flat on your face. Right? Like, like this old man and this old woman, our flesh, believe it or not, on this side of heaven is still waging war against the spirit. And that's why we need to consistently choose the way of sanctification, the ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus. Now, how does one become more like Jesus? It's real simple. You hang around Jesus long enough, you become like him. I wonder if you've ever hung around someone for an extended period of time. And before you know it, you start sounding like them. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like married couples, you know what I'm talking about? Like all of a sudden, you know, you're like, I'm, I'm my wife. My, 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 I'm like my husband. You know, like this. you start rubbing off. You start picking up certain mannerisms. All of a sudden you start doing things. You're like, where the crap did that come from? Like I, I never did that. It's like you start, people start rubbing off on you. You start hanging around some people. Those habits become your habits. Um, for, for the longest time, <laughs> I had the strongest Staten Island accent. And you ask, why did you have a Staten Island accent? Well, it's because that was home. Uh, I grew up in Staten Island, New York, and, and I have worked most of my life to try to work out that accent out of my system. And thank the good Lord, I don't talk like a Staten Islander. Although, I will say every once in a while, when I get angry, the, the Staten Island accent starts to come to the tip of my tongue. You know, like I'm driving, someone cuts me off, or someone's waiting to turn left at a green light, then it turns yellow, turn, turn, you know? And so Staten Island will come up every once in a while. But, but for the longest time, for the longest time, I had a real strong Staten Island accent. And then I went off to college, and uh, for whatever reason, I ended up hanging around a lot of people from Ohio and Western Pennsylvania, you know, and all these, you know, out in the boondocks of like places I've never even heard of. Like growing up in New York City, it's like, I don't, I don't know nobody in Ohio or Western. I don't need anybody. Do you divide the state of Pennsylvania, Western and Eastern to Western Pennsylvania? Yeah, sure enough. And, and, and before you know it, all of a sudden, I start sounding like these people. Yeah, like I grew up in Staten Island all my life and then all of a sudden I'm like in Ohio. You know, like I'm, I'm from Western Pennsylvania. So much so that one day I was on the phone with a friend of mine who, who was also a, a native of Staten Island. I pick up the phone and he's like, yo, who am I talking to here? It's like, you sound like a white boy from the Midwest, Dan. Like who, who like what happened to the New York Dan? You know, like it's like, I didn't even realize I sounded any different. No offense to any white boys from the Midwest. We love you but that's not how I grew up. But you hang around certain people long enough, you start sounding like them. You start behaving like them. You start thinking like them. You hang around someone long enough, you watch. You will become them. It's like how the author and pastor Francis Frangipan has once said it this way. He says, God's goal is to create and establish functional Christ-likeness within us. Not theoretical, not in idea, but functional Christ-likeness within us. We start with the name of Jesus and it transfers to the nature of Jesus. We believe in Jesus until we believe like Jesus. We love Jesus until we're loving like Jesus. God's goal is nothing less than we become full-stature Christians. 
And friends, that's sanctification. Sanctification is this process, this ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus. And as you stay tethered to Jesus, Jesus starts impacting your life where you become like him. That is sanctification. And so when you walk by the Spirit, number one, you recognize the battle. Number two, you choose the way of sanctification. And lastly, you depend on the Spirit. When you walk by the Spirit, you depend on the Spirit. Listen, church, the reason why this passage cannot work as mere self-help advice or, or, or a pathway towards self-improvement or personal development is because these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, these are not things that we can produce on our own. Paul doesn't say, okay, I'm gonna lay out a list for you, church, all right, Galatians, you're ready, here it is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and all, and he lays it out, and then he says, now, get to work. Work hard at these things. No, he says, no, 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 that, this is the fruit of the Spirit, which means that it is the Holy Spirit alone who can produce these things in us as we walk with him. And so let me go back to the series of questions that I asked earlier. Do you need more joy in your life? Lord knows I do. If so, look to the Holy Spirit to be your joy. Do you struggle with patience? Yeah, We'll go to the Holy Spirit to seek patience. Do you lack peace today? Who doesn't? Well, ask the Holy Spirit for his peace. Do you feel like you have lost all self-control? Well, ask the Holy Spirit to build within you, to fortify within you greater self-control. Friends, what I'm trying to say is, this is the supernatural working of God in your life, that as we walk by the Spirit, the Spirit produces in us, not you, not me. We don't produce it. It's the Holy Spirit who produces in us things that we can never produce on our own by our own might and effort. And friends, that's good news because I don't know how many times you have found yourself with this list, sitting before this list in Galatians chapter five, and you're saying, okay, I, I need to grow in this. I, 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 don't, I don't have a lot of gentleness in my toolbox. I need to get, I, I need to get more gentle. I don't, have, I don't have a lot of peace, and so give me, let me, let me YouTube, how, how to find more peace. How, how do you get more peace? How do you, I, I, need, I need more of this in my life. And again, if, if, if that's the conclusion that we are drawing from this passage, we have missed the point entirely. The good news of the gospel is that the Holy Spirit is the one who produces fruit in us, things that we can never produce on our own. Oh, and by the way, I don't know if, if this struck anyone else, but it strikes me that we often like to downgrade the fruit of the Spirit into mere human qualities that we need to work on. Anyone do that? I'm guilty of that, okay? So, so don't be ashamed, right? Like what we do is we downgrade the fruit of the Spirit into human qualities that we need to grow in. In other words, let me put it this way. If the production of the fruit is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, wouldn't the fruit also be supernatural in nature? Wouldn't that make sense? 
Like if, if, if it's the Holy Spirit, it's, it's his job to produce fruit in our lives. Wouldn't the fruit also be supernatural in nature? In other words, I, I don't think, okay, this is just my thought. I'm just kind of sharing my thoughts with you here this morning upon reading this passage. I don't think that the spirit-filled person loves in any ordinary human kind of way. I don't think that's what Paul is saying when he's talking about the fruit of the spirit. I think the spirit-filled person loves with a supernatural, extraordinary kind of love. A kind of love that is not devised and mustered up within yourself by your own might and effort. I think the spirit-filled person is brimming over, not with natural human joy or circumstantial happiness, but I think the spirit-filled person is brimming over with supernatural joy. I believe that this person experiences a supernatural kind of peace, the kind of peace that really does transcend all understanding. I believe that that kind of person has that sort of peace that they are experiencing. You see, the, the fruit of the Spirit is produced by the Spirit, but it also has the markings of the Spirit all over it. And this is why we need to depend on the Holy Spirit because without him, <laughs> we are hopelessly bound to the natural works of the flesh. So I say to you, church, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Because when you do, that's the moment you will become fully aware of this internal battle that wages war between our flesh and the spirit, but you're not just left there. But once that battle becomes aware to you, you will find yourself choosing the way of sanctification, saying yes to the spirit and no to your flesh. You have crucified the ways and the passion, the desires of your flesh. For those of you who are in Christ Jesus, that process of sanctification is saying yes to Jesus and saying no to your flesh. You will choose sanctification. And along the way, you will discover there is truly no other way to live this life other than to fully and wholly depend on the Holy Spirit. That, that's why I just, I cannot get my head around people who try to live this life and honor Christ apart from the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. Now, this is probably another message for another time and place, but it's like, what, what do we think about when we think about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives? When we try to live as if the Holy Spirit is dispensable, what we end up doing is we get caught up in this hamster wheel of works of the flesh. And the only way to break out of that cycle is to take heed to what Paul is trying to say throughout this entire passage, and that is walk by the Spirit. Walk by, you can't do it on your own. The works of the flesh will lead you to only one place where Paul says, I've warned you as I warned you before, those who take part in such things will never inherit the kingdom of God. The works of the flesh only leads to one place. And so Paul's antidote, his remedy for that is saying, people walk by the Spirit. 
It's only in that place that you'll begin to be aware of that, oh man, there is this battle that is inside of me. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. And all these things, there's freedom to be found in that. Walk by the Spirit and the Spirit of God will begin to produce in you a desire to become more and more like Jesus. Did you know that you cannot wake up in the morning and force yourself to want to become more like Jesus? That's a desire that the Holy Spirit puts inside of you and me. Again, our default operating system is opposed to the Spirit. But the gospel, the good news is, he has given us another way. He has given us the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit begins to work in our hearts and regenerate us and convert us and sanctify us, all of a sudden your desires to become more like Jesus becomes awakened. But living like Jesus, trying to imitate Jesus on your own might is yet again another futile exercise. If you wanna really walk like Jesus, think like Jesus, love like Jesus, you need to depend on the Holy Spirit. I need to depend on the Holy Spirit. I don't have it in me to be like Jesus, even on my best day. So he says, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Friends, as we prepare to come to the communion table, I want you to make, make you aware that there, there is an invitation on the table before you to walk by the Spirit, to walk with Jesus. And the question that hangs in the balance in that space is this, is, are these sorts of questions. Will you submit your flesh to his spirit? Will you submit the passions and the desires of your flesh? All the places of your life that run contrary to God, will you submit those places to the power of God's Holy Spirit? Will you choose the way of sanctification? Will you choose to stay near to Jesus today? And will you depend on the Holy Spirit like your life depended on it? Because it does, it does. Your life depends on what the Holy Spirit is doing. Will you depend on the Holy Spirit to bear fruit in your life in ways that only he can? And if your answer to any of those questions this morning is yes, in just a few moments, we're gonna invite you to take part in Holy Communion. And as you take communion, may this act of worship be a way of saying yes to Jesus in all of those ways. Yes, I wanna submit my flesh to your spirit, Jesus. Yes, I wanna choose the way of sanctification and become more like you. Yes, Holy Spirit, I want to continue to depend on you. I don't wanna do this life and produce on my own things that I can never really produce on my own in the first place. I wanna depend on you, Holy Spirit. And may your act in taking communion today be a representation of that commitment. Lastly, I'll just say this. If today is the first day that you are considering this invitation in your life, maybe, may you, maybe you've been trying hard to become a slightly better version of yourself and, and you've been trying to work hard at being a good person. And again, I'm not against self-help or self-improvement. I, I got my inner David Goggins voice in my head. Like, who's gonna carry the log? Like, I'm, I'm ready, man. Make me a better person. Make me a better person tomorrow than I am today, right? I'm not against that. 
Paul's message, the good news of the gospel is there's a better way. There's a better way. And the invitation is to come to the table and receive what Christ has done for you so that you don't have to strive, so that you don't have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get yourself into the kingdom of heaven. Bible says all you need to do is put your faith and your trust and hope in Christ and what he has done. And so if you've never made that commitment today, maybe today's the day. Maybe you sense a stirring in your heart to say, oh, yeah, I, I think I wanna live a, a, a better way. And I'll lead you in a prayer in just a few moments. But, but if you're not there today, if you're still on the fence of, of what you think about this whole walking by the spirit thing and walking in Christ, and if you have not given your life to Jesus in this way, we're gonna ask you to hold off on taking communion until you're ready to make that commitment, until you're ready to make that statement. And when you are, we'd love to celebrate with you. But for now, if we could all just, for a moment, just bow our heads and prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. I'd love to just lead us into this time. Oh Lord, we love you. We look to you to do things in us that in our human might, in our human effort, we cannot do. The good news of the gospel, the fact that there is no other gospel like this, says to us that there is a better way to live this life and that is to walk by the Spirit. Lord, we, we need your Spirit to help us to walk with your Spirit and to walk by your Spirit. And we recognize here today that walking by your Spirit would not even be a possibility had Jesus not died on the cross and rose from the dead. We would not have the gift of the Holy Spirit had Jesus not broken his body and shed his blood for us. And so in taking communion today, we take it with gratitude that you have made a better way for us, that you have enabled us, you have given us the gift of your Holy Spirit, and you have called us, invited us to walk by your spirit in this better way. And we take communion here today with a grateful heart, with a heart of celebration. And so God, we look to you to continue to stir our hearts even now as we, as we uh, prepare to take part in the Lord's Supper, Lord. We thank you. We look to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.